welcome to Pedagodzilla, the pedagogic podcast where we ponder perceptions of pedagogy through practical prodding with the poker of pop culture at spaceships, swords, and atomic monsters. This week we'll be answering the bloody stupid question, how does Ashton Kutcher's failure to employ systems thinking come to bite him in the butterfly effect? So to introduce ourselves, I am Mike, as always. I am a bloke with a microphone and imposter syndrome incarnate. And joining me today, we have... Uh, Jetsu van Ameide. I'm a, a learning designer at the OU with a, a very strong interest in systems thinking, in which I teach as well. I, I, not just a learning designer, a senior learning A senior learning designer. That makes me a whole lot more credible, doesn't it? <laughs> with, uh, I mean, we must point out, a, a background in research. You used to work with IET. IET, yes, yes, indeed. I, I used to work in IET, where I was involved in various research projects looking at uh, pedagogy and the impact of learning design on student outcomes. So um, from other universities, if you've ever heard of the Iceberg uh, Report or our work on uh, workloads, uh, Yitz was involved in those. I think everybody has in some way touched on mm-hmm. the iceberg thing. It seems to be the, <laughs> the thing that we uh, we shout about the best. So before we start off, uh, Mark uh, was supposed to be in this recording with us uh, and might join us later on. So you might hear him uh, pop in later on in the session. Part one, the question. Without any further ado, let us break down our question. So the question is, how does Ashton Kutcher's failure to employ systems thinking come to bite him in the butterfly effect? So that question has two components. One is the film The Butterfly Effect, and the other is systems thinking. So uh, The Butterfly Effect, movie from 2003, starring Ashton Kutcher, uh, as you may have noticed from the title. Uh, Critically not the best well-received of films ever, but I I struggle to find people who haven't seen it. Mm, yeah, and it's surprising, actually, in my view, that it was not well-received or as well-received as I think it should have been because, for me, it's been a kind of a film that has had a, quite an impact on, on me kind of when I was younger and I've watched, you know, several times uh, and, and always enjoyed watching. Yeah, it's, it's a great film. It's um, in a weird way. It feels like a film that was edited 10 years too early in that it's kind of the pacing's a bit weird mm-hmm. um, and some of the script is excellent and some of the script was just kind of like clearly done on the back of an envelope. Mm. But yeah, really high concept movie that um, inexplicably got absolutely um, like kicked by the critics. Uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, that's what critics do. They're, they're, well, they're a bit <laughs> like academics. They, they like kicking stuff. Absolutely. So uh, do you want to just summarise um, what happens in the butterfly effect for us? Um, so yeah, so um, Evan, um, Aston Kutcher's character, basically uh, as a child uh, has various blackouts, uh, especially kind of at, at stressful or traumatic moments. Uh, And, um, you know, kind of he grows up, has various of those moments. uh, And after a while, they stop for so many years. And as he is kind of a a, a student at university or, yeah, kind of an adult, basically, um, and basically has not had any blackouts for quite some time, um, he realizes that when he reads back his journals, uh, that certain episodes, certain parts of the journal kind of um, trigger... um, a kind of, um, well, I'm not sure what to call it, actually. Well, it's, it's kind of like a, a sort of a super flashback, which he's able to To change actually things. change the past, basically. Um, so, yeah, he, he kind of finds out that by engaging with his previous memories. So he during those initial flash, uh, blackouts that he has as a child, he, he can't remember afterwards what has happened at mm-hmm. all. And, uh, you know, kind of after forgetting about that for a long time and uh, then kind of engaging um, for some reason with his journals again, he kind of finds out that he flashes back to those moments. Uh, where he can intervene in a way to actually change the past and uh, kind of wake up again into the same moment where he flashed back and kind of notice all the things that have changed. 
Um, so that's kind of a very interesting concept, and it kind of basically explores his journey towards, um, well, <laughs> getting himself in a in a pickle, trying yes. to change the, the his current situation by going back in time and changing various aspects of what he has done in the past. And that's kind of a, the critical thing of the film is that um, he never manages to change any one thing. Anything that he changes mm-hmm. uh, has a whole raft of, of knock-on effects. The first big change he makes is uh, stopping uh, a terrible film being made, uh, mm-hmm. sort of stopping a traumatic event between him and um, a young girl, which appears to have all gone wonderful and swimmingly at the time and then ultimately leads to a series of catastrophic knock-on impacts and him going to prison. Yes, exactly. Um, which And it goes darker from there. It's, this film goes to some... It starts off in quite a light-hearted way and then goes to some very dark places very quickly. Yes, exactly. And I think it explores those places quite effectively. Yeah. And and yes, the, the kind of what you say, the knock-on effects, you know, the unexpected impacts on the various relationships that this main character, Evan, has. And I think kind of that's that's where the, the notion of systems thinking becomes very relevant. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we, we we started talking about systems thinking and, and knocking around uh, sort of bits of pop culture that uh, might apply to it. And this was literally uh, on the ed literally on the, on the tip of Yitz's tongue uh, the second it came up. And uh, yeah, having re- uh, rewatched it myself last night, yes, absolutely perfect. As did I to refresh <laughs> my memory, because even though I'd seen it quite a few times, it was a while since I last mm. viewed it. Yeah, 2003. I, I had it in my mind. It was a simultaneously older and newer film, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I felt like I hadn't seen it in 20 years, but it didn't feel like an old, old movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I encourage you to, to watch it. There's um, It's a bit of a harrowing watch at, sta- at stages, but a very, very good film. Uh, but that's the butterfly effect. So let's talk about systems thinking. I have uh, a few notes on systems thinking uh, approaches and uh, principles, but Yitzha is very much the uh, the expert in the field. So I'm wondering if you could just introduce us to the concept of systems thinking and where it fits in with uh, learning and teaching and pedagogy. Yes. So first of all, I would not call myself an expert in the field of systems thinking, because I think <laughs> in systems thinking, there's no such thing as experts. It's kind of, you know, a, a field that constantly challenges you to find out more about your own way of making sense of the world and kind of exploring different ways of, of understanding a knowledge that one can never really master. So in that sense, uh, being a systems practitioner means always being a learner, basically, and never having that sense that you've mastered. So it kind of creates a sense of humility in, 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 in that respect. Um, so yeah, what, what is systems thinking? So um, I always struggle when someone asks me, what is systems thinking? And I've never really managed to give the same answer twice, which I think is one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated with the discipline, mm-hmm. because there is no one single simple way to explain systems thinking. So basically, um, how I would describe it at this very moment is as a loosely bound and connected set of ideas, principles, techniques, um, visualizations and approaches that draw on a number of insights and principles about how things are connected between one another, about how our ways of perceiving the world and our perspective influences everything that we do, and about how we make sense of the world and where we draw boundaries around concepts, ideas, and interests, or the the people that originated systems thinking, who kind of first came up with the the principles behind systems thinking, were from a variety of different fields and actually started to notice that they needed a common language to be able to uh, discuss the insights which seemed to apply to their various respective fields and which were relevant to all of them, but somehow they all had developed different dis- different languages and yeah. different concepts and ideas, but they kind of needed some way to communicate that in a way that that, that kind of led to a shared understanding of, of those, you know, the, the principles that applied across the various disciplines. Um, 
So within those kind of within that medley of um, different approaches and kind of the common language, what are the common points within the different approaches and understandings of system thinking? Would you say? Yeah. So th- that's kind of. Uh, I mean, the, the, the way that it emerges in our teaching uh, is to kind of th- the key thing that binds systems thinking approaches and ideas together are those three pillars of interconnectivity between different variables or or, or things in our experience. Uh, the the perspectives, kind of the, the sense that we make sense of our world through our own perspective mm-hmm. and that different people have different perspectives, which leads to different kind of interests and different ways of acting. And then that notion of kind of everyone, uh, all our processes of sense making are around drawing boundaries around things. So we include some things and exclude others. And systems thinking asks us questions around what principles and what values are uh, expressed in the way that we draw those boundaries. Hmm. So those three pillars are? The first pillar would be the interconnectivity of everything, the way that everything is interconnected in terms of, you know, all variables and all aspects of reality are in some way connected to one another. Interconnectivity of everything. Second pillar is? Second pillar uh, involves the notion of uh, perspectives and that every human being acts from a certain given perspective that is informed by their upbringing, their background, etc., and that informs their values, their judgments, everything. Mm-hmm. And the third uh, element, the third pillar is the notion of, of boundary judgments, that everyone draws boundaries around certain concepts and ideas and includes some aspects uh, at the expense of others. And everyone draws different boundaries around their experience. Mm-hmm. So everyone breaks their experience down in different ways of, of categorization and different ways of, of understanding how things relate to one another. So there's a, a different wave of systems approaches, which is called the soft systems approaches which very much deal with those fuzzy notions of, of, of human sense-making and, and human interests that are not necessarily reflected in real hard physical mm. you know, systems. Um, this basically also asks, you know, what, what is a system? Is it like something that really exists or is it something that just occurs in our head as a way of making sense of and understanding the world? Mm. And I think I mean, a lot of it feels like it's um, people think in terms of systems unconsciously. It's not something that you specifically need training for, although Obviously, there is a value to making people aware of kind of the overt mechanisms and processes underneath it. Um, But as you say, uh, with soft systems, uh, we are, for example, aware of, with Christmas coming, um, the complex systems of connections uh, within our family from a social perspective Mm -hmm. and what Christmas dinner conversations about Brexit, for example, might trigger. Hypothetically. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So can you give us, uh, apart from uh, Christmas dinner Brexit, can you give us an idea, uh, an example of um, a a social piece of systems thinking? Um, Well, I think the idea is not necessarily to break some some systems down in soft systems, not systems down in hard systems. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of how we think about systems. So there's thinking about systems, which is hard systems, mm-hmm. or thinking in terms of systems, which is more soft systems. So it's, it's it's an epistemological distinction rather than a distinction in terms of different systems. I will need you to define the term epistemological because I definitely can't spell it and I'm not sure I just said it correctly. Okay, I think you did say it correctly. So <laughs> the, the notion of epistemology is very much around knowledge, around how, how do we come to know the world around us. Mm-hmm. So it's the principles and the, the, the ways that we um, come to know what we know. And how do we, you know, how do we come to know and how do we know that we know what we know? Yeah. So it's all questions around knowledge. Uh, and that's kind of one of the key, you know, one of the key elements of systems thinking is that epistemological awareness of how I come to understand the world and what the gaps are in how I understand the world. So, you know, I bring my own perspective, uh, which, you know, informed everything that I do, but that perspective has certain gaps. Uh, mm-hmm. But let's leave that out for now, because the question that you ask is an interesting one, which is kind of an example of where perhaps the dynamics that soft systems is good at explaining 
uh, in social situations, you know, some, somewhere where that is relevant. Um, now, let me think for a moment. Uh, you mentioned kind of Christmas uh, meals as, as, an, as an element where kind of social dynamics are, are very relevant. I'm just desperately trying to remember the word epistemological. Uh, yes, epistemological. epistemological. I'm going to deploy it at every given opportunity. Now. I think you should. Yeah, I think you should drop it at least once in every sentence that you that will be your <laughs> challenge for the day. Yeah. OK, so basically the, the way soft systems emerged was by um, uh, a, a guy called Peter Checkland trying to trying to support project management of kind of complex problems. And what he found out was that a lot of what happened was not necessarily could not necessarily be explained in in kind of engineering terms, in kind of hard engineering terms. A lot of what happened was about the social dynamics between people, some people liking other people, other people don't liking other people, and kind of the social dynamics and the values that people bring, bring a whole lot of complexity to a situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a lot of failures happen, not because of a lack of design or a lack of effective project management, but because of issues between personalities, because of issues between different perspectives, people valuing things in different ways. Etc. And Mark's just joined us. Hello. Well in time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were uh... meeting at two. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Right, okay. Yitza, I should point out, is my line manager, and this is the <laughs> third point at which he's pointing out that I'm incapable of turning up the right time at the Okay, so we are joined by we are joined halfway through this recording by Mark Childs. Oh you got halfway through already. That's really good going. We are joined by Mark Childs who? Who? Who are you? I'm Mark, and I've got a PhD in education. <laughs> That's basically it, isn't it? That's my usual tagline. It is, and a slow watch. And a slow watch. No, no, no. I just, um, I just should write things down about where I'm going to be at any, any one particular time. <laughs> trying to cover for you, Mark. Trying to cover for you. <laughs> right, so we've been talking about um, systems thinking. Um, mm -hmm. We'd gone through kind of the three pillars of uh, systems thinking, and we were then applying it to a soft scenario. Uh, yes. So as I mentioned before, soft systems is not a different type of system, but it's a different way of thinking about systems uh, in terms of the less tangible aspects of human behavior and human actions, uh, such as human values, human interests, human you know, shortcomings, human cognition. So there's a whole lot of soft factors which affect how we engage with the world, which are not necessarily captured by, you know, the, the, the notions of physical systems, um, which, you know, create a whole lot of interesting phenomenon in our, in our social world. Bring, you know, there's, for instance, in the NHS, there's so many different, different practitioners that all try to interact together and all of them bring a different way of understanding uh, patient care, a different way of prioritizing different aspects. So soft systems kind of helps them make sense of that complexity that those different actors and those different practitioners bring to the situation. Okay, so it sounds like uh, that sort of soft system methodology may be the most useful element to carry forwards to the second part where we start answering our question, mm -hmm. um, or at least that kind of that soft approach, because I get the feeling that the three, the three core tenants still apply across both, I suppose. <laughs> it's just kind of the application, isn't it? The three core tenants, by the way, which we've not read. Tenants. Tenants. Not, tenants. Oh, I don't know. Killer, yeah, tenants. tenants is every time you say tenants. I can't, it come I can't out, get it in my head. You're obsessed with Doctor Who, actually. That's really the issue, am. yeah. That yeah. Or, that or, is it bitter as well? Yeah, tenants bitter. Tenants yeah, bitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah, or maybe you're just having rent issues. I don't know. It could be always <laughs> rev writing again. Um, so once again, okay. those three pillars are the interconnectivity of everything. So recognizing the interconnectivity of everything. So the different elements in the observable system before. Okay. Uh, the notion of perspectives. So what uh, pre what knowledge and perspective and bias you're bringing um, in your view and interpretation 
of the uh, the elements in front of you and your boundary judgments. So what you are choosing to uh, exclude and include not just within the system, but also within the different spheres within those systems. So for example, I guess if I go back to, if I go to my Christmas dinner, um, then I could recognize my family as uh, an element within that, but then I may wish to subdivide that further into grandma, auntie, uncle. When considering this as a system, would that be a sort of a relatively? Yes, I, I think kind of when you look at, at families and social dynamics within families, I think that's it, the most interesting way of looking at, uh, you know, the most interesting system dynamics that you can actually observe. And I think there's a whole lot of systems thinking that has applied, for instance, in family th- therapy as well, where kind of they look at the family as a system. In that sense, system thinking is less about the individual people or the individual elements in a system and more about how they relate to one another. Oh my God! I, you know, I went to I went to Japan recently, and uh, I've just found out how to pronounce Studio Ghibli. It's Ghibli or Jibiru. Did you know that? I did not know. No, that. no, that. Anyway, so I went to an exhibition by not Miyazaki, the other one. Oh, I should be able to remember his name. Anyway, so one of his early movies, um, what he did was he got them. He wrote out a map of all of the characters in his movie and how they related to each other, not just like relationship-wise, but what their opinion was of each other and how they're responding to each other. And so you had these maps, act-to-network maps, I guess, or systems thinking maps of actually how all of these different characters relate to each other. And then all the animators could actually build that into how they drew those characters because they'd actually got an idea about this person feels this way about this one and this mm-hmm. fails this way about that oh, one. Really it's amazing. Yeah, it was one of the most, yeah, it was a really inspiring bit from like, you know, trying to write stuff. Mm-hmm. It was the thing I took away most from that particular exhibition. Mm. Yeah. And that's really interesting, yeah, because in the West we tend to dominate, our thinking tends to focus on entities and individual things, mm-hmm. whereas kind of Eastern thinking is much more about relationships. And I think that notion of the relationship as being being the key component of, of our emphasis and our understanding is leads to a very different way of looking at situations um, and kind of, you know, a better way of understanding social dynamics that, you know, you can't just understand one individual without understanding their relationship with other individuals. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's one of the things that you see wrong with a lot of Western um, movies and things or like TV shows is is that each character is just seen as a character and the way they interact with each of the other characters is pretty much the same. It's very mechanistic, mechanical. Yeah, and individualistic rather than actually what the dynamics of each individual scene is how this person relates to this one rather than this one. So anyway, yeah, there we go. Okay, well, I mean, so this is actually, so for me, this is uh, helping to A, explain why I've had so much trouble researching this and B, I'm starting to see now that, yes, the systems thinking is very much a top level umbrella but within which there is so much individual discipline like some well, area specific discipline as we we're just talking about social dynamics is its own very distinct beast and obviously there are systems thinking um, in the application of some of that but then we have the geoscience as well there are these three uniting pillars um, within it but how they're actually used within that and how they're considered are very much their own um, beasts and specialisms does that sound plausible to you yet? yeah yeah i'm happy with that okay cool so I think we've got um, enough pieces to take us forward to, uh, our next, uh, to our next section where we'll be trying to answer the question, how does Ashton Kutcher's failure to employ systems thinking come to bite him in the butterfly effect? Transition music. <laughs> I'm just thinking we haven't discussed pedagogy yet and how systems thinking relates to pedagogy. 
reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say that bit again? <laughs> That'd be good. Oh, we haven't thought about Bendigan again. You can cut this out and put it back in later. Oh, this is probably how it's exactly yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, you're really good. Very good point. This is a pedagogy podcast, ostensibly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, okay, does I, it have to be? I suppose it has to be, doesn't it? Okay. Mm. Yeah, it's got to be at pedagogy. Least, at least yeah, need to bring okay. in some pedagogy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Otherwise, okay, pedagogzilla would, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're just focusing on the Godzilla element, which is still not covered. Okay. So... Yeah, I think just how does it link into pedagogy? I think I'm going to keep that whole messy transition uh-huh. in. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I think there's a, a thousand ways in which systems thinking is relevant to pedagogy. Uh, I think perhaps one of the key ones is that when we engage with learners in an educational context, everything that we teach them or that they learn with us, um, the way that we expect them to use that is in a very different context. And, you know, kind of whatever they, you know, it comes back to, for instance, in work, when you do training, you know, you go to a training event, you learn some new ideas, you go back in your work context, and there's lots of obstacles that actually prevent you from implementing what you've learned in the training. Mm -hmm. And I think the same applies to our students, that we try to teach them skills, we try to teach them knowledge and understanding that they can apply in the real world. But the real world is a very different place, Mm. and a place that, you know, has a very different set of dynamics, a very different set of expectations from students that do not necessarily match the context in which we teach them the principles and ideas and approaches that we you know, want them to learn. Uh, so that's kind of one way in which systems thinking applies to education, that you know, kind of there's obstacles in terms of how education is taken forward and implemented in real life because the, 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 the context is different in an educational setting than it is in a real-world setting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there's other ways in which systems thinking is very relevant to uh, pedagogy in the sense that learning can be understood as a complex system. There's lots of different elements in an educational institution that come together to um, create a learning experience. And that learning experience can only be understood really by understanding how those various components of, you know, kind of uh, the different staff, the different educational resources, such as learning materials, such as learning settings and rooms or virtual environments, how the various um, background experiences and um, backgrounds of students all come together and interact in a certain way that leads to learning, hopefully. Mm. And so, um, you know, if we look at learning, traditionally we've often looked at teaching rather than at learning. I think that is one of the kind of the shortcomings of traditional models of, of pedagogy, which is very much te- teacher-focused. Yeah, we've discussed before, isn't it, how mm-hmm. uh, sort of teaching rather than learning, so learning being outcomes-based, whereas teaching being kind of a delivery focus. Yeah, being process-based, yeah. yeah. And I mean, you know, both our perspectives, both are helpful, but by only adopting one perspective at the expense of the other, you lose a whole lot of insights and a whole lot of understanding of what learning involves. So learning, in my view, is a bit like an elephant, you know, and there are several blind people trying to grasp what that elephant is by grabbing different parts of the elephant. And yeah, <laughs> looking at Mark, no, which part would I yeah, go? No, um, I, I'm not looking at Mark and thinking <laughs> elephants. No, I was thinking I'm trying. Yeah, no, the six blind men and the elephant. Yeah, you oh, know yeah, the no, metaphor. Oh, ele- the yeah, this one's the a wall. And the this elephant. one's a trunk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yes. this one's Mark. Oh no, I've got no. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, he's wearing a grey shirt it's in a grey room, him. so it's just like it's a floating head. <laughs> <laughs> it's very distracting. I am the elephant's penis. Leave that bit in. Mark is the elephant's penis. Gonna head the episode with that one yes so, yeah we've discussed now how pedagogy and system thinking relate to one another and there's only i've only discussed two elements or two ways in which they interrelate i think there's many more but i think you know maybe we should move to the the actual question um i would just i would also say making students aware of systems thinking so introducing systems thinking as one would any other academic skill mm-hmm. uh just seems very beneficial i certainly have uh, feel ever so slightly smarter having uh, gone through 
and uh, familiarise myself with the uh, with the principles. Which is I just wish nice. I'd turned up on time, and I might be smarter too. Right. I'll have to listen to the podcast. Oh, there we go. <laughs> okay, so yeah, as Bita said, let's move on to the next part of the show where we shall answer the question, how does Ashton Kutcher's failure to employ systems thinking come to bite him in the butt a fly effect? Which, as you'll see, is a hilarious pun or a play on words, which we have done within the question. Part two, the answer. Okay, so I think uh, we've got our three pillars which we can use as a little formula for uh, for breaking this down. So let's go to, um, for me, there's a key part in uh, The Butterfly Effect. It's about a third of the way in, and it's where Ashton Kutcher goes to make that first big misinformed but well-intentioned intervention within his own life uh, in the basement when he and the young lady have been asked to take their clothes off in front of the camera. Okay, so, right. So, so this is a film, is it? That's right. The Butterfly Effect is a film. Mark. Okay, right, because I... When you saw butterfly effect, I thought you meant the physical phenomenon of the butterfly effect, which is the bit I'm ready to talk about. But I, I, I'd heard there was a film, but I don't know anything about the film, apart from Ashton Kutcher's in it, which I just learned from you going through this thing now. So um, if you want to know about what the butterfly effect is in, ter- in general terms, I can fill you in on that, or you could just go straight in to talk about the movie. Give us a one-sentence summary of uh, the butterfly effect, which I believe is chaos theory. It is chaos theory. There you go. That's your one. Okay. <laughs> Do you want me to give... Okay, so basically one sentence. Um, so meteorologist uh, Edward Lawrence, 1961, runs a computer program which says, which tries to predict uh, weather patterns. It crashes halfway through. So he, rather than start it right from the beginning again, he just takes the output from the, like, the last few kind of run-throughs and then types it back in, and he notices that before it gets even to the last couple of steps, it's wildly different from what it was originally. And he says, this is impossible. They've got to be different numbers. It's the same numbers. I've just typed in the numbers that got printed out. Um, And then when he looked at the register, the register was storing, I don't know, like the numbers to 14 decimal places, and he'd only typed them into 11. So those three extra decimal places, when you're looking at all the nonlinear systems of like uh, weather and pressure and all that sort of stuff, even though it's so small, it was still creating like a typhoon in the Philippines where there hadn't been one before. And when he worked out what those three decimal, extra like 11th, 12th, 13th or whatever it was decimal places were, it's the same pressure that a butterfly exerts when it flaps its wings. And that's the difference. So when you've got nonlinear, uh, yeah, so that's what it's called, the butterfly effect. So when you look at nonlinear dynamic systems, um, they're really, really sensitive to initial conditions. And any slight variance will cause massive differences further down the line. And he published that in 1963, just a couple of months before I was born. And a couple of months after I was born, Doctor Who got launched. So it's one of the key moments of 1963. One of the three key moments, your birth being the one that fell in the middle. Yes, I'm halfway between <laughs> the Doctor and chaos. Uh, and I would say of order of priority, it's about third most important, second being the Doctor and, of course, first being... So we can name me Doctor Chaos. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, that would be, yeah, 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 oh. general disarray. No, Doctor Chaos would be brilliant. Oh, so those deep sound <laughs> references, I love yeah. it. Um, and yeah, and then several decades later, they made a movie about it. Okay, um, tell me about the movie then. Well, we, well we've already have. Oh, have you? We, we've covered the film. Oh, have you? So we're now oh, going okay. to go to okay. this incisive Listen incident. to the podcast. Oh, okay, I listen to the podcast. Okay. <laughs> so uh, the inciting incident where we've got um, uh, Ashton Kutcher goes back to his younger body and realises that he can make a change to this traumatic, horrible moment. It's his first time actually uh, remembering, experiencing a particular incident, and he chooses to uh, make a threatening speech 
to the gentleman at the end of the camera, basically telling him to lay his hands off of his uh, daughter and to, incidentally, give your son a bit of discipline because he's a bit of a lunatic. Uh, the son in this being a complete lunatic who sets his dog on fire and all sorts. The, the kid's a complete... Um, Not yeah, yeah, psychopath. Yeah, complete nutcase. So what he does is he makes a speech and then uh, wakes up again uh, as his current present day older self uh, and everything's changed. He's um, in a, if he's in a fraternity, he's got uh, a girlfriend who is the young lady he saved and everything's lovely and happy. However, it all falls to bits because the brother gets out of jail and because of the throwaway comment, he's gone completely balami. Uh, his father uh, persecuted him something fierce and he's gone from being a nutter to a complete full-blown hyper-lunatic. I don't know what's like... <laughs> hyper-lunatic, mega-psychopath. Yeah. Uh, Uber-super-duper, yeah, mega-psycho. Yeah, yeah, he's, he, oh, yeah. He's, he's much worse. He's, he's, he's basically become the prototype of Biff from Back to the Future. He's right. become like that level of evil. Um, and then there's a scuffle and... Um, results in uh, in Ashton Kutcher basically killing him isn't it yes with a, a bat a, a bit a small uh, baton i think yeah like it's like a bit of metal on a yes. I couldn't see it was a bit dark um and going to jail and then having unwanted attention ja- jail intimacy yes yes that was all uh, caused by the very small change he made there so how would he have applied systems thinking to not fall on his bum in quite such a catastrophic manner i think Firstly, it's the recognition that everything we do has intended as well as unintended consequences. And like Mark um, explained in terms of the butterfly effect, starting conditions or small changes in the starting conditions of a complex system can have big impacts in the further evolution and development of that system. So by making a small tweak in a you know, much earlier period of life, the massive Intended consequence is that, you know, his his girlfriend or his the, the girl that kind of is the main character, the main girl character, the main female character of the film uh, is no longer dead as a result of him not intervening. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other consequences of that intervention that were unintended. So even though he achieved what he wanted to achieve in the sense that his girlfriend is still alive, um, he created a set of conditions which resulted in him going to prison, basically. So this is where systems thinking is relevant in the sense that in, in the sense that he did not realize that, you know, his intervention would result in fundamental changes in the settings of this system, which evolved in a way that he had not anticipated. Okay, so if we look at this through the lens of the three pillars, how could he have potentially avoided this? How could he have made a, either made a more positive change or recognized ways uh, in which to um, uh, act in a different manner? Let's say we're back, uh, we're Ashton Kutcher, and we've gone back to uh, that critical moment in the past. So rather than doing what he uh, does in the film, which is instantly go to you know make the, uh, the rousing speech, he takes a moment and goes, okay, time to apply my systems thinking principles. Mm-hmm. So the first thing he does is looks at the interconnectivity of everything. Yes. So he looks at the interconnectivity of everything. The elements at play here are the, uh, the main girl character, her father, the brother, brother. himself. Um, there is also the, um, the child who's been bullied. Yes, uh, Lenny. Lenny. Mm-hmm. Um, there and there, I think they've got another friend in the group as well. Yes. Uh, his own dog, mm-hmm. uh, his mother, Lenny's mother, yes. and his intervention basically affects the pattern of those relationships. In the sense that the father no longer lays his hands on his daughter, but it changes the relationship between his father, uh, her father, and 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 his son. In the sense that he becomes much more dis- he becomes much more um, 
harsh with mm. the son, much more severe, and kind of, you know, makes his son into an even worse psychopath because of the amount of discipline that he, he um, enforces on, on, on him, which also kind of affects the relationship between her and her brother and all the subsequent relationships that all of these characters have yeah. with one another. And this is, I mean, even at this stage as well, this is a known factor within that particular component is that this kid is definitely mentally unstable, yes. um, even at this stage. So there is, you know, a, a different person would have asked the question, how will a change to the father's behaviour mm-hmm. uh, impact this uh, extremely unstable uh, unstable child would, for example, have saying, make sure you treat both your kids right, maybe don't molest either of them. Yes. Loads of people do it every day, not molest children. it's setting the bar low isn't it pretty low it's like which one of them am i going to molest it's like you know it's like really you should really probably yeah try and avoid cutting it out completely yeah yeah yeah. um but you know so recognizing that 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 is an element within that system which um is something yeah by looking at those different interrelationships you can actually predict how changing one part of that pattern may have an impact on the rest of that pattern and then try and actually look at what kind of changes may have the most beneficial effect across the whole of the network, not just the one dynamic, yes. the one dyad that you're looking at, but actually the whole interrelationship across all of them. Exactly. And I mean, that's how it kind of all ties together, yes. I guess. And of course, the danger is there that you will never understand the full complexity of you know, any system, any real world system. So any intervention that you make is always informed by partial knowledge and partial understanding of the dynamics mm. of that system. So you might know that, you know, if I were to act in this way or if I was to give this particular speech to this father, he might decide to no longer, you know, damage his daughter by his Mm. behavior. But you may not have anticipated the effect that that has on other aspects. So, you know, the complexity of a system are always, always far out, uh, out, 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 no, not outweigh, but out. Uh, out complex. Oh, okay. It's, well, <laughs> basically, I mean, it's, scale, it's... yeah, the, the complexities that you can understand. So that does, seems to link up with the second and third pillars, then, which is, as you say, it's the um, recognizing the complexity and interconnectivity of these systems, but also the unpredictable natures. Notion of perspectives, the second pillar. He literally comes in with an extremely narrow view. He has his own very limited experience of the outcomes of this, just from his own perspective. Um, I believe it's covered that he doesn't know what happened in the intervening times, and he's he doesn't know how everybody else acted even in his own sort of primary um time stream as it were but also boundary judgments so when he makes his intervention in this he makes a boundary judgment which is very immediate and small sphere not accounting for all of these different interconnected systems he makes a judgment which includes uh, just three components of as we described a very complex system it's simply him the girl and the father uh, that's the those are the three uh, elements that he chooses to acknowledge in that initial system uh, and and impact and which subsequently balloons outwards uh, to this completely different future for him. Mm -hmm. Yes, and that notion of boundary judgments, uh, I think here highlights also the kind of the the political and ethical nature of intervention, that his intervention and the the things that he includes in his consideration that led to the intervention has effects on other people who may have competing notions of what's important in this situation, like, you know, this the the outcome of the situation has impacts on the brother of the girl. Uh, that he did not necessarily include in his, like you say, in, in his consideration and, and what he found important. Um, so there's, you know, two outcomes of that. First of all, uh, the brother, you know, has, as, as a result, experiences that lead him down a path that is even more destructive than initially in the first condition, in the first set of starting conditions. Um, and secondly, that that outcome has then an, another effect on Aston, who also goes to prison as a result of him killing the brother. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, th- those effects come bite him back in the uh, come to bite to come back to bite him in the butt 
uh, butterfly effect, as you said. Oh, yeah, I was uh, really happy about that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he's leading up to that pun again. Uh, yes, <laughs> we're just going to repeat that pun over and over again because it stays funny no matter how many times. Times you say it, yeah. yes. Okay, so I think we've pretty systematically covered how his failure um, to apply systems thinking in that he didn't apply systems thinking, or at least if he did so, he did it in an extremely narrow way, led him to have unwanted prison intimacy. <laughs> Sorry, I can't say that. Prison intimacy. Prison. No, prism. Prison. Prison intimacy. I imagine prism intimacy might be... Prison to see. Shop corners. Just go to prison and have a nasty time. There we go. That sounds much better. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Also, my usual bugbear with time travel movies is he hasn't considered the Deutsch proposition, but we can cover that in another episode. We'll do Back to the Future sometime. <laughs> Part three, practical tips for your own teaching. Tips for one's own teaching practice. Mm-hmm. Systems thinking in one's own practice. Yes. Okay, I would say that one of the key tips would be to consider that the impact on students or learners will always be different from what we expect it to be. So we need to be considerate of the various complex dynamics that our students exist in and the the various contextual factors that they experience and that we cannot expect them to blah de blah de blah de blah I have no idea <laughs> no, no, where think, I'm going think, with this. I think um, <laughs> to continue that, thinking of, for example, our own data analytics work, we see a very narrow view through our data analytics of what students are doing and we make interpretations based on that and then accordingly interventions. Yes, It's worth, as you say, bearing in mind that those changes we make are going into an extremely complex uh, student system of which we have a very minimal visibility. I mean, part of what we do with the whole student persona thing, so just to explain to the audience, what we do when we're starting off planning learning design is that we will actually ask the people who are creating the module to think of what is the scenario that each, that the pick, invent basically uh, three or four different students and what their name is and what their background is and what their experiences are and what their motivations are, and then think how that would actually work, the module would work for that particular student, which really concretizes that whole, makes more concrete that whole process of designing. And that's part of, I guess, what systems thinking does is that it enables you to think about here's this module that's not an abstract thing. It actually plays out in a particular context. Let's think about those different contexts, how that then relates to this person's experiences and things. And it's a way to kind of do more or less a dry run of those different systems thinkings in different scenarios with each different student. Would that be a fair summary of how it applies? Yeah, I think that is one one aspect indeed where it, where it applies, which is very concisely and 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 elegantly I, I, that's going to play out well in my I next could... um <laughs> yes the next in my next one. cdp <laughs> meeting <laughs> i mean I, that's got i mean that's got me thinking about our roles in general i mean as all of us are learning designers some more senior than others um <laughs> one of the roles that we actually bring to module teams is making them aware of the slightly more interconnected nature of the different uh, elements and components at work within a module there tends to be um, a focus uh, sometimes on content and we come in with a outside somewhat more uh, more structural perspective and make people aware of things like you know is this actually matching what your students are doing how are you considering academic skills development things we're trying to bring in other top level components that aren't just discipline specific as matters of consideration when the material is being designed so we are to some respects trying to encourage systems thinking and I think it's more important with a, with a distance learning university because if you're teaching face-to-face, 
you can actually tweak things as you go through, depending on how well they're playing out actually as it goes live. Whereas when you anticipate, when you're doing things in advance, which we have to do to a large extent, then you have to be able to anticipate a lot of what those different mm. ways it plays out are, will be, because you can't, you can to some extent, but you, there's a limit to how much you can actually change things and redirect things as you're going along. I mean, this Ashton Kutcher thing, the butterfly effect, if he could have actually not just had one intervention, but intervened constantly throughout the intervening periods to keep on guiding it in the same direction, it might have made a interest, more interesting movie. And also, um, given more of an insight into how this kind of systems thinking works actually over the time, really. So I think that's covered um, systems thinking and the butterfly effect. I think we've satisfactorily, satisfactorily, satisfactorily. I can't do it either. I think satisfactorily. Satisfactorily? Yeah. I think, okay. I think we have answered our question in a satisfactory manner. Bottling <laughs> 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 out. Yeah. Um, and we've given you uh, tips for your own teaching. So it's time to wrap up. listening you can subscribe to us on itunes or on the podcasting app of your choice or at our website pedagodzilla.com you can also get in touch with us at twitter uh, you can get hold of me at pedagodzilla and mark at mark childs it's the og handle and yet said you do you do twitters no, i'm not on the socials uh, yet says not on the socials but um if you can summon an owl uh, and write a little letter to it. Uh, it'll find its way to you. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye. Oh, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>